lot better, amen? But Matthew chapter five, verse number one, it says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when, ye shall, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but the salt hath lost his savor. Which shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Lord, I want to say thank you, Lord, for our choir and our special singers. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, for people, Lord, we... We could easily go down the road of performance, God. We could easily go down the road of mechanics. But, Lord, I'm just thankful, Lord. We don't do everything probably like the best choirs in the world do. God, we just step back and we rear back. And Lord, we just come to worship you this morning. Lord, I'm thankful for an atmosphere, God. I'm thankful for a, a, a setting, God, that we have here at our church. It's a place of liberty. But, God, it's also a place of genuineness. God, we're not perfect. God, we don't have it all figured out. But, Lord, we sure do love you. We sure are grateful for what you've done for us. Lord, help us never lose that attitude, that desire, that mentality this morning. We pray, Lord, this morning it's already been sung about, it's already been testified about and talked about this morning. But, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as a personal Lord and Savior, Lord, they've heard enough through the song service. Lord, I pray, Lord, you'd work in their hearts this morning. Draw them unto yourself, save them by your grace. Lord, help us to be an instrument of, uh, of teaching and an instrument, God, to, to, that points them towards Christ. Give us discernment, give us wisdom on how to handle those situations. But Lord, we pray now, Lord, as we get into the word of God this morning, God, would you speak directly to our hearts. God, don't let a single one of us leave out of here this morning without knowing we've heard from heaven. God, take your word, apply it to our life. Make it real to us. God, put it in shoe leather so we can live it and walk in it this morning. Lord, we'll be grateful, we'll be thankful this morning for what you do. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Very familiar portion of scripture here is what we call the Sermon on the Mount or what theologians call the Sermon on the Mount. I've preached through this before when we did our study on hills a few years ago. Uh, and I, it's one of the, what most people would say probably the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. And, and that, I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to debate that. And, and I think there's wonderful truth here. But as I was reading through it this morning right here, I was reminded again that the Jesus of the Bible, 
The Jesus that we can see and hear and listen to in the word of God does not match the Jesus of our modern day culture, right? They make Jesus be a man who was soft, a man who was, uh, he was, you know, he was, he was uh, uh, unoffensive and he was, he was in the sense that he was just quiet and meek and he was, he was meek and all those things and we understand that. But here he is, he's talking directly to his disciples and he's saying things that, man, if, you know, it's one of those when I was preparing, I was like, Lord, can I please preach something else? This is one of those hard messages. It's, it's one of those that, you know, you don't jump up out of the bed and say, all right, I'm ready to preach that, amen. But at the same time, it was needed for them, and it's also needed for us this morning. But we see here in verse number one, we see three groups or three different characters here. Verse number one, we see the multitudes. Well, that is the people that have followed the Lord. They have, they have come after him, and they are, there's a great number of them. Many times in the Gospels, we hear about these crowds and how people like Zacchaeus had to climb up into a tree to see the Lord. The lady with the issue of blood had to crawl down to where the Lord was to touch the hem of his garments. And they said the, the press, the crowd oftentimes was so tight and so many, you couldn't just walk through. You had to wiggle your way around. In essence, what, what the Lord has is his multitudes. And then we see the Lord himself there in verse number one. He, it says, and seeing the multitudes, he who Jesus went up into a mountain. And when he was set, then here's the third group, the disciples. We see the multitudes, we see the disciples. In between them is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to me because uh, often modern day theology says, modern day church building programs say, you've got to have a crowd to be successful. If you're not growing numerically and God isn't bringing masses and multitudes into your church and you're failing, but here's the Lord who sees the multitudes, who sees the crowds and says, you know what? I'm going up here. Now, it's not, he's not because he's done with them. It's not because he doesn't like them. It's not because he is through with them. He doesn't have compassion on them. But rather, he understands that there is a crowd down there, and he's not interested in just having a crowd to say he has a crowd because you've got to realize the greatest crowd this earth could conjure up and make for the Lord doesn't even compare to what he left in glory when he came to earth. All the heavenly hosts sang praises unto him, cried holy, holy, holy for all of eternity. And he left that behind to come down to this place to die for you and me. And so he's not necessarily, the, the, the crowd isn't what gets him going. The crowd isn't what satisfies him. The Lord separates himself unto his disciples. And he's sitting in a position. The Bible says, look what it says right there in verse number one, and he was set. He has sat down. Now, in your Bible, you'll learn and you studied out that in that, that terminology and that, that action there, one is to sit or sit down when they are done working. Right? You stand while you work and you're, while you're busy, you stand and you walk, but here the Lord has sat down, in essence saying, I am done right now. I am, I am done with the work for the moment. And I wonder how many of those in the multitude would have looked up and said, he's sitting down, he's done. I need to go find somebody else. But yet, he notice this, he sits down, and in verse number one, who comes unto him? His disciples. Let me ask you this morning, when it comes to serving the Lord and following after God, would you still come to him even if it seems like he's done? Even if it seems like he's not gonna do anything else for you this morning? Here the disciples see him sit down and then they approach him. They come to where he is. They, they, they come and seek the Lord. And as they approach, Jesus begins to teach them. 
We go down to verses, all the way down to verse 16. Really, it goes for the next few chapters of your Bible. Jesus teaches and tells them, is preaching to them, is, is doing all of those things this morning perfectly as only the Son of God can do. But as they approach the Lord, he begins to teach them. And in light of this separation, right, he's separated himself from the multitudes. And now he's teaching strictly to his disciples, the 12 men that he's appointed, he's called, who have left behind their nets, who have left behind their jobs, who have left behind their lives as they know it. Now they are following the Lord. And he brings up these, these, these ideas, and he brings up these truths and these thoughts this morning as he's teaching them. And here's the thought I want to preach on this morning, taken out of here, out of Matthew 5 this morning. Here's what I want to preach on. We already have enough of those. We already have enough of those. Maybe you've experienced that. You've grabbed your resume and you've, you've, or you were excited about it and you took it in to the hiring manager. They brought you in for the interview. They read over your resume. You're excited about it. You're looking forward to a new job. They read over everything and they say, listen, I'm sorry, but the position you've applied for, we already have enough of those. Well, that can be discouraging. That can be just downright draining on your spirit this morning. But here the Lord brings up three types of Christians that we already have enough of. And as he said, I don't need any more of those. I don't need any more that fit this mold and fit this, this attitude and fit this kind of lifestyle and mentality. The Lord's saying, I, I left behind the multitude because I already have enough of those. And now he's going to teach his disciples saying, listen, I don't need any more of those. Here's what I need. Here's what I'm desiring. Here's what I really want. Every Christian should purpose in their hearts to not be one of the following kinds of Christians because truth be told, we already have enough of those. In 2023, there's plenty of these kind of Christians we already have. I don't want a church full of these kind of Christians. I don't want to be one of these kind of Christians, really, because any way you look in our mind, we already have enough of those. We already have, and it's like someone says, preacher, we ought to open up another Waffle House. No, we should. We already have, I don't know if you have too many of them. <laughs> or Lord, the Lord's put it on my heart to plant a Baptist church two miles down the road from here. My advice to you, my counsel is we already have enough of those around here. Paul said he, would, he, didn't, he didn't want to build any other man's work, amen. And notice this morning, the Lord's going to say, here, there's three kinds of Christians I already have enough of. They're in the multitudes down there. There's a whole crowd of them. I don't need any more of those. Notice, number one, we already have enough unhappy Christians. We already have enough unhappy Christians. Now, you go and you read this. He sent the multitude. He didn't send them away. He just walked up a mountain. And see, a lot of people, they love, see, we can look at the multitude and they have enjoyed the blessings of God. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, if you go up to chapter number four, verse number 25, the Bible says, and Jesus went about all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. We see it's, it's threefold, right? It's, there's, there's preaching, there's teaching, and then there's healing. But look what made him famous in verse number 25. Excuse me, verse number 24. And his fame went abroad, went throughout all of Syria. And they brought unto him all the people who needed to hear the message. They brought all the people that needed to get saved by the grace of God. 
The Bible said they brought on him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those who were possessed with devils and those which were a lunatic and those that had palsy and he healed them. And there followed great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. That whole crowd that has now is this multitude. They've enjoyed the blessings of God. God's given them back their mind. The Lord has touched their palsy. The Lord has healed them physically, gave them a blessing, and they're enjoying it. But then he realizes, and they realize this morning, and some of you have to realize in your life, thank God for the blessings, amen. Well, I'm glad for the times I've, God has put physical blessings into my life. The money's come in, the bills have been paid, the, 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 the problems have been taken care of, the need has been provided. And can I say this morning, there's a whole crowd of people out there. They have a testimony of God providing things for them and God doing things for them. But notice here that what separates the multitude from the disciples, the disciples said, I didn't lose, he didn't give me back my mind. He didn't heal my palsy. He didn't do those things that he did for them. But I'm more in love with the blessing. I'm in love with the blessor. I'm in love with the one who has blessed me. And so when he sat down, the multitude said, you know what? That's all he's going to do. We might as well move on. The disciples said, no, we're going to go to him. And we see here this morning that, that more came to be healed than to hear what he had to say. If being happy meant just having blessings Every modern day Christian in America ought to be happy. Why, preacher? Because we have it better than anybody else in this entire world. Well, preacher, you don't understand. It's not like it used to be. I, I remember when things, when hamburgers used to be a nickel. I remember when gas used to be 15 cents a gallon. I, I, here's the, I don't remember none of that this morning. I remember when, when things used to be like a dollar and you could go to Walmart and get a soda for 25 cents. I thought that was the lie. But here's the thing this morning. Last time I checked, there wasn't a police officer at the door saying you cannot come in here. The last time I checked, when I swiped my car at the gas station, I still had enough money to put gas in my car. The last time I checked, when I swiped my card at Aldi. I still had enough to buy groceries. Can I say it? We have it better than far better than anybody else in this entire world. I understand inflation's a real thing. I understand we're, we're facing all that, but really, if it was just merely on what God has blessed us with, we'd have no reason to complain. Which poses the question, then why do we have so many unhappy Christians? Why do we have so many who are uncontent, who lack happiness in their life? Yet when a small discomfort or delay comes our way, there goes our happy. Preacher, you're not going to believe it. it. ruined my day. What happened? I stopped by, I stopped by Chick-fil-A. That's God's place. That's God's blessing. That's very well the very manna and, and meat that they served in the wilderness, preacher. My day was wonderful. And I had to wait in line for seven minutes. Ruined my day, preacher. I don't understand, that sounds like I'm joking this morning, but oftentimes it's those trivial small things that robs a Christian of their genuine happiness. Right, and so we have to ask ourselves, oh, is that me? Is that how I react? Is, is it just take one thing for me to forget everything God has done for me? Can I say, I wish I could say that I spiritually arrived to the place where setbacks and, 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 and delays don't bother me. But just this week, I was reminded of how, how weak I really am. I was just reminded how, how weak I, I really am this morning, how quick my flesh wears up. 
And here's the thing. I understand, well, listen, we're going to battle that temptation. We're going to do those things. And thankfully, God has provided an escape when those things come. He, he gives us the answer for those things. And you and I don't have to be an unhappy Christian because truth be told, Christ said, I already have enough of those. I really don't want another one. I don't need another one. And here's the thing. Happiness isn't a possession we hold, but it's the position of our heart. Right? It's not things that you have that make you happy. John D. Rockefeller had more money than anybody could ever dream of. And they said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? He said, just another dollar. We understand this morning that, that and what, so preacher, where do you get the word happy from? Well, down there in verse three, down through verse, uh, verse number uh, 11 this morning, you see the word blessed. Some people say blessed, some people say blessed. <laughs> you say it however you want to say it. I just want to be it, amen, whatever it is this morning. But notice here he goes and he says, all right, blessed or happy are these people. He doesn't list off a single item. He doesn't list off a single possession. He doesn't say, all right, happy are those who have enough. Happy are those who have gold. Happy are those who have a big house. Listen, I'm just like you, amen. They just built a brand new house on our way to church. That thing is massive. And I get to chuckle at it because right across the street, the trailer park, I thought they paid all that money <laughs> just to look out their front door at a trailer park. I thought, about what have you? It's probably interesting. <laughs> but notice here this morning, we get so consumed with things and we lose the thing that God, it's amazing, the very thing God has blessed us with for a temporal time, for a, a certain season of our life, for a certain need that doesn't stretch out for eternity. He gives us those blessings and then we lose them and all of a sudden now we're unhappy. God even, yes, he loves you. He died for you. He don't have to give you anything to prove that. He already gave himself. But notice here this morning, here's the keys to being happy. Blessed, verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that goes backwards, doesn't it? <laughs> Preacher, I'm, I'm double pole. Amen, I'm poor in spirit and in wallet, amen. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right, poor in spirit. Preacher, what in the world does that mean? What does that, what does that mean? Those who have acknowledged their spiritual condition. Boy, I can tell you what. We sang about it this morning, and I know what the guilt of sin is all about. I know what the weight of sin is all about. I know what it means and what it, what it truly feels like to understand because of who I am and because of what I've done and because of who I was, that I was in, in transgression against a thrice holy God and I had done God wrong and I was guilty. I know I, there was a time in my life, I can tell you the day where I bowed my heart and said, Lord, you're exactly right about who I am. But Lord, you're exactly right about who you are. I was poor in spirit. And it was tied to for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, as, as a Christian there's a lot that I enjoy in this life, but I'm thankful this morning that my, this world's not my home. <laughs> and that means if this world's not my home, that I ought not to look for this world to prove and provide my happiness. It's, it, my, my kingdom's in, a, in, a, in heaven this morning. That's where I'm looking forward. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are they that mourn. Happy are those that mourn. That don't even make sense. Could you imagine going to your next funeral? And everybody's standing around the casket. Their eyes are wide open. They're smiling really big and they're mourning. Preacher, that don't make no sense. That's crazy. For they shall be comforted. Preacher, why, are, why can we be happy? 
Why don't, why don't we have to allow unhappiness to rule our lives when we're in a place of mourning? I wish this morning I could say, I wish I could agree with the televangelists. I wish I could agree with Benny Hinn and Joel Osteen and all that crowd this morning that say, listen, you follow God and everything's going to be all right. Nobody's going to die. Your pet's going to live forever and everything's going to be wonderful. But I guarantee you this morning, if you haven't yet experienced some time in your Christian life, you're going to walk into the valley of mourning. Somebody you love is going to die. You're going to get the bad news. Something's going to happen or take place, and you're going to step right into the valley of mourning. But that does not mean you have to take your happiness and chunk it out the window and say, because this thing has happened to me, that God has allowed this thing, that I can no longer be happy. Blessed are they that mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. Can I? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a lonely valley. That's a hard valley. That's a difficult valley. But can I say as being as one who's walked through the valley, boy, I found him faithful. I found him right in the middle of it. And I didn't have to surrender my happiness to do so. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after right. That's why there ain't a lot of happy Christians. They got the wrong appetite. <laughs> hey, man, listen, you can go. I don't know why I always get on food. Y'all be making me work for my baloney, amen? Listen, you can go eat the food. Listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I love bacon. I love sausage. I, I love any kind of, I don't know about pig's feet. I don't know if I've ever ate those. I mean, any kind of the part of the pig, man, you fry it enough, you bread it, son, I'll eat it. That stuff ain't good for you. Right, and we can, we can turn to the things of this world, right, and in the moment it feels good, and, and it, at the time it seems all right, but the longer we let it ingest in us, the longer we bring it in, we realize it's not actually doing anything good for us. He said, blessed are the, the excuse me, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after, let me ask you this morning, when's the last time you got up, and it wasn't because the preacher told you to, it wasn't because your wife reminded you. It wasn't because your children put you under conviction. But you got up and said, you know what? Today is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice, but I'm also going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm going to grab up my Bible. I'm going to open up and say, all right, Lord, here I am. I know you've got something for me, and I ain't leaving until I get filled. When was the last time you prayed until you prayed through? And God dealt with your heart and got things right this morning. Jesus said, I, I already got enough unhappy Christians. I don't need another one. So the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Listen, you can't chase revenge and be happy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Boy, I've, I don't know where it came from. I, listen, I love our law enforcement. I'm thankful for them, amen. I'm thankful when we call, they show up, amen. But they'll take this verse and say, this is the policeman's verse. Blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> Worked in the cabinet shop, and he said, he said with well, the guy, he said, Tate, here's the honest truth. A shotgun will bring peace to a lot of situations. That's a true statement. You show up with a shotgun, people won't stop talking. Cock it one time, let one air fly off into the air. Yeah, people won't. What is that? But notice here this morning, we, we take this verse and we, we give it that way, and I understand what they're trying to do there. But blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Do you realize this morning as a Christian, you and I, because who dwells inside of us, are actually the only authors and the only ones able to actually extend real peace to people. And it's not anything we do. It's not any object that we have. It is who is inside of us. Go to work and, and listen to people talk about their problems. And walk up to them and say, listen, I've got a solution for you. What do you want me to do? Trust Jesus. <laughs> Get saved by the grace of God. 
Preacher gonna think I'm crazy, but you wouldn't be lying. And that's where peace comes from this morning. Blessed are they, the peacemakers, for they shall call the children of God. Verse number 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Now, preacher, quit. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> it's just getting, it's getting harder and harder, preacher. Verse number 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say, shall, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Well, that's the kind of Christian I want to be where the best they can do is lie about me. And I know they're lying about me. And it doesn't bother me a bit. I'll let God be true and every man a liar. That's real happiness, amen. Because if you're trying to please everybody so they'll say something good about you, you won't be happy. We're not called to serve anybody else but the Lord this morning. He's our judge. He's, our, he's, a, he's, he's the one we'll stand and give an account for. Verse number 12, our, our, our heavenly reward produces a blessed heart. A blessed spirit is far greater than we can imagine this morning. Look what he said in verse Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward. You know why a lot of Christians become unhappy Christians? Because their eyes get focused on this horizontally. Right? And then we forget what we have vertically waiting for us. My reward is not this world. Listen, I love my children. I love, I love the things that my wife, I love the things that God has given me. I love this church. I love y'all. But ultimately, this church is not my reward. Right? My, my family is not my reward. My, my spouse is not my reward. My position is not my reward. My reward is in heaven this morning. Well, preacher, what is, what is your reward? It is the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. He is the reward this morning. I'm not lurking for anything else. I'm not expecting God to add a couple rooms on my mansion. That's why I preach so hard. That's why I get excited at church because I want a few extra gold bricks in front of my house. No, I just want to be where he is. He's my reward this morning. Let me ask you, are you just another grumpy, unhappy Christian? Does the word rejoicing describe your Christian life? We don't need any more unhappy Christians, grumpy Christians. We already got enough of those. We need some happy, blessed Christians who know they're blessed and live like they're blessed. We already have enough unhappy Christians. Notice number two, we have enough unsavory Christians. Look at verse number 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot, under foot of men. When Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, he did not mean to be the salty of the earth. <laughs> little Miss Shiloh, we, we joke, we call Miss Shiloh our spicy baby. Because she's, she's a little fireball, amen? She comes to church, she acts cute, and she's wonderful and all that. You get to the house, man, you do something she don't like, you tell her no. You, you, you say, no, ma'am, you can't do that. Boy, she becomes spicy, amen? Become salty. Here's the thing. But in reality is when Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, he's saying there's, in reality, when you take it in this context this morning, the danger is not becoming a, a Christian who's too salty, right? You, you love the Lord too much. You're too heavenly minded for any earthly good. You love your Bible too much. And that's what Jesus said. You can't take it too far. There's no such thing as a Christian who's too Christian, who is too Christ-like, right? Because the epitome and our desire is to be just like Christ, he said, really, the danger is becoming unsavory, losing your flavor, losing your saltiness. Could you imagine you, you've cooked something for dinner and you take a, a you spoonful in, you're testing it, and you go to taste it and you think, man, this thing desperately needs salt. And so you reach up to your spice cabinet, you pull out salt, and you pour some in, you stir it up, you try it again, nothing. So you pour it again, you try it again, nothing. 
You go through the whole box of, of, of iodized salt. You pour it in, pour it in, and nothing happened. You're saying, what in the world is wrong with this? This is not right. How many would say, you know what, I'm going to keep pouring salt in until this salt gets it together? No, you're going to toss that salt out and go find you some salty salt. <laughs> Told you profound ain't my thing, amen? <laughs> but here's the thing. If we act like the world and we think like the world and we sound like this world, what difference are we going to make? The world needs to hear something different. They need to hear something. Things, Brother Curtis Hudson preaches a message called things that are different are not the same. Things that are different are not the same. And so when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to raising my children, when it comes to pastoring a church, I don't want to do it the world's way. Why? Because the world's way is not God's way. But here's the thing. Sometimes salt does irritate things. Only when there's open wounds. But in reality, even the salt that irritates the wound is actually helping cleanse it, to heal it. And there's going to be times when the preacher preaches, you read your Bible, you talk to people on the job site, and they're not going to like what you have to say, but they cannot argue against it. And what they don't realize is actually truth is getting into their heart. The Holy Spirit is taking something that they don't know and is revealing truth. And why? How do you know that, preacher? Because the Bible said the Holy Spirit will reveal and guide men to all truth this morning. And he takes that truth and it hurts. Why? It brings on conviction. It makes them deal with something they don't want to deal about. But in reality, it's helping them. But also salt will entice others. They realize they're missing something. I don't have what they have. Here's the benefit, Jesus said, here's the benefit of unsavory salt. Here's what it's good for. Nothing. Nothing. An unsavory Christian does not produce anything. An unsavory Christian does not accomplish anything for the, for the glory of God. An unsavory Christian is good for nothing. I remember working at Sonic, and I think I might have told this story before. There was a family, they don't go here no more. Uh, don't come ask me after the service. I'm not going to tell you their name. Don't come guessing. But I was working there, and I seen them pull up. And I said, hey, I know them. They go to church with us. And so I took the order, and there's an order of mozzarella sticks and a few other things. And it was cooked. It was sent out to them. And one of the car hops took it out and brought it back in. And I said, hey, I go to church with them people. Uh, or right before she went out, I said, hey, I go to church with people. Make sure you give them good service. <laughs> Car hop came back in. She said, Tate, I don't know if she's listening during church or not. But whatever's being preached or whatever, she needs more of it. She said, the way she talked to me and the words she used ought never be attached to a mozzarella stick. What'd you say? I didn't have nothing to say. Unsavory Christians don't help nobody. They don't, they, don't, they don't further the gospel for the glory of God. Let me ask you this morning. There are more than enough unsavory Christians out there who complain about everything, sound just like everybody else, talk like everybody else, play the part, act like that, and they, but in one way in church, but once they're out of it, they're, they don't do, they're good for nothing. There's enough of those. You gonna be the next one? 
or you're going to be a salty Christian. The salt of the earth is what Jesus said. Then notice number three, we have enough unblazed Christians or unblazing Christians. Verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is heaven. This portion of Scripture starts with a clarifying statement. Jesus said, well, when you become the light of the world, or maybe once you understand enough, you, you'll, you'll, you'll be illuminated to that position. Jesus said, no, you are the light of the world. We are this one. We're not waiting to be the light. We're not having to go through seminary and all that wonderful stuff. Preacher, how do, I, how do I become light in this dark world? Get saved by the grace of God. And that light of Christ now is in you. You're the light of the world. Ye means you, not just a few, not just some elite Christian crowd or group of leaders, but you. No, preacher, the Lord was talking about those sold out, you know, preaching them Christians that are sold out. You know, they read the Bible every day. They pray every day. They, they've been to Bible college and they got all that wonderful stuff. No, Jesus said, you are. If, you've been, if you have a testimony of salvation, you are the light of the world. And then he said, are. <laughs> what does it mean right now? In this moment? Not 20 years from now? That's why I don't tell those kids, hey, wait until you're grown to serve the Lord. Start now. Why? You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world Now. At this moment, and he said, the light of the world, men shall be lovers of darkness, the Bible tells us. And so we're walking out into a dark world, and they only have one chance, one source of light, and it's coming from me and you. We become accustomed to shining bright in places that are already lit. They're already lighted. I love church, amen. I absolutely love, I love worshiping this morning. I enjoyed every second of it this morning. I plan on doing it again tonight, and I hope you're here to do it with us. We'll be back here Wednesday. We'll do it in the middle of the week, amen. Why? Because we need it. But if this is the only place I shine bright, this is the only place where my light is illuminating and shining forth, it's already in a place that is well lit. Why? Because you and I are the light of the world. We're all here together this morning. This place is bright, not because we have LED bulbs in the ceiling, but because we have the light of Christ in us this morning. And he said, you're the light of the world. Here, he gave us some things. Unblazing Christians are Christians who have the light but are trying their best not to let it shine. Trying their best to keep it hid. And here's the thing, Jesus tells us in verse number 14, you can't hide it. Look at verse number 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He said it don't make sense. It's an impossibility. If that city is on a hill, you're going to look up and see it. Now, you can try to hide it, but you can't hide it in this natural state. You've got to add things around it. You've got to build things around it to hide it, to make it look like it's, it's not a city on a hill. Here's the thing, the love of Christ and the gospel uh, should just flow out of you this morning. It should just, that's who you are. I'm not becoming a Christian. I am a Christian. I'm saved by the grace of God. I'm a child of God this morning. I'm not working towards that. That's who I already am this morning. If that's the case, then how come that stuff is not flowing out of our lives? We're sitting on a hill saying, we're the light. But hold on a second, I gotta build a wall. I gotta put in some fake trees. I gotta make it look like there's nothing here. I gotta blend in. It's amazing the first sin ever committed by man in the Garden of Eden was their first attempt to blend in, to not deal with it, to, to try to make it seem like everything was okay. But here's the thing, you can't hide the light this morning. There's no such thing as natural barriers, just some self-made ones. So preacher, how, how come, how, how come you can't hide the light? Because as a Christian, we know 
that we'll stand before Christ and give an account for everything that was done in our body, everything that was done with this great salvation that was given to us. And here's what I'm afraid of, is I'm going to give my excuses. Well, you know, Lord, the culture was bad in 2023. In America, it was terrible. They were voting on things and doing things that go against the word of God. They were making fun of us on Facebook and on YouTube, and they were calling us all these kind of names. Lord, it was just a tough place and a tough time to live. Lord, I wanted to shine, but I, I was afraid of what they might say about me. I didn't want to get canceled by the council culture, Lord. I didn't want them to hurt my feelings. And then lo and behold, behind me is going to be a martyr. Lord, I loved you so much that when they threw me into the Colosseum in Rome, I gladly went. I showed that whole crowd that day that you were worth dying for and giving myself for. You can't hide the light this morning. You're going to give an account. But notice this, not only is there there's an uninspiring testimony in verse number 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a book. It makes no sense. But on a candlestick and give it light unto all that are in the house. Well, what do we call it? We call it the house of God, right? This is a house of worship. It's a house of praise. I want to let the light of God so shine out of my life. Not only do I affect the world that I'm called to, but I live in such a way when others in here see my light. They don't see me saying, well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to testify. I'm not going to worship the Lord. I mean, I'm supposed to be a dignified granny. I ain't going to shout. They're going to think, I'm not a granny. I'm talking about Miss Norma this morning. <laughs> Preacher, you need to be prestigious and, and profound. Y'all going to have to vote somebody else in, amen? <laughs> I don't have that. I don't have that characteristic. But here's what I, I do serve and live for God in such a way. Not that I just inspire you, but I also inspire my children, inspire my grandkids. And I want you to be the same thing. I want our kids to look at you and say, I want what they have. I want my light to shine like their light's shining. I want to be used of God like they're being used of God. Jesus said, at the bottom with unblazing Christian, there's no, there's no inspiring testimony. We've already got enough Christians not doing nothing. We don't need another one. I'd encourage you to go and listen or, or read about, there's a radio program called The Life of Extraordinary Christians. Go find it however you gotta find it. Go find you some books on those who were martyred for their faith and read what they went through. I can't tell you how many times I've read about men and read about women who died for their faith or, or went through excruciating things. I never got finished one of those books that said, oh, well, that really didn't change my life, none. That didn't inspire me. That didn't encourage me. I'll get done with them saying, my goodness, what am I doing for the Lord? If they're willing to do that, what am I doing? For the Lord? I want to have an inspiring testimony. I want my light to shine within the house to inspire others. You can't hide the light. There's an inspiring testimony when you're an unblazing Christian. But notice this. When you and I become unblazing Christians, there's an arrogant switch. Look at verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and tell you how good of a job you're doing. They see your good works and give you the promotion. They may see your good works and put you a plaque and a statue outside. He said, no, they may see your works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. That lady came Thursday, and she's a, she's a nice lady. Never had no problems with her. 
But, you know, it's very, very, I always, I'm one of those like, you know, you guys are doing great. What about this? What about that? And we were in the middle of dismissal. I'm trying to make sure kids are getting to where they're supposed to be. And she had, she had stepped out. She was done observing. And she came and she told me, she said, you just have a way. You have the gift of teaching. I didn't say, well, thank you, ma'am. I went to Bible college. Thank you, ma'am. I've been reading commentaries. I've been learning. What did you say, preacher? Praise the Lord. Why? I know who I am. <laughs> I'm not here because I, I read a book and all of a sudden I figured it all out. I'm just one who just said, Lord, use me. Use me. I remember being on the, on the cabinet shop and my foreman was talking with me one day. He said, Tate, you're just, you're, you're a great father. You're a great worker. You're great at everything. I said, there's a lot of things I'm not great at. And I said, the truth is, Ian, it's the Lord. That's the difference. It's not who I am. It's not because I, I read enough of uh, James Dobson's books to understand how to love my children. I didn't read enough of uh, books to learn how to work hard. I just simply said, all right, Lord, I'm yours. Here's the thing. I don't want my good works to glorify me. I don't want, I don't want the recognition for it because I'm not the resource in it. I'm not the source of it this morning. I'm, I'm not the one that produces that. It's the Holy Spirit in me that does the work, that, that allows me to glorify God. And, but here's the thing, when, that, when you become a Christian, you're trying to hide that. When it becomes about yourself, you're trying to hide the light that is in you, there'll become an arrogant switch. You'll say, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. I'm so, I'm so great, I'm so wonderful. I'm all these things. We've glorified our good works instead of letting our good works glorify our Father. <laughs> I challenge you this week, your next compliment. Preacher, I've been praying that God would open up doors for me to witness to people. The next time they give you a compliment, God's opened the door wide open. And so let me tell you why. It's not because I'm anything special. There was a day in my life where I asked Jesus Christ to save me and I've not been the same since. Allow your good works to glorify God and not yourself this morning. We already have enough unhappy Christians. Please don't be the next one. We already have enough unsavory, unsalty Christians. Please don't be the next one. We already have enough unblazing Christians. Please don't be the next one. We already have enough of those. This one. Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.